You can be seated. Good morning, church. It is a joy to be with you guys today. That, uh, and my hope is what we just sang, that you guys would join with me as we exalt King Jesus and that as we lift him up, our prayer is that he would draw our hearts to himself. Now, I especially want to welcome you if you're a guest today, either online or in person. We would love to have your contact information. You can fill out a card in the seat back in front of you that looks like this. You drop it in the give boxes on your way out on the right or left side of the doors, and we promise to contact you in a respectful way. Now, if you have a copy of God's Word, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And I would love to just get there right now. We've been in this, this uh, book for nine weeks. Today is the ninth week that we've been walking through 1 Thessalonians. Um, and I hope that it's been encouragement to you. It's been a, certainly an encouragement to me. And if you would just read along, the words are going to be on the screen. Starting in verse 1. Now concerning the times and seasons, brother, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light. Children of the day, we are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God, <laughs> this is good news, for God has not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This is God's word for us today. Let's pray that God would bless it and that we would hear from him. Would you pray with me and not just listen to my words, actually talk to Jesus. Father, thank you for this, your word. We believe that in it, you speak authoritatively into our lives. And so we receive these words gladly. And we ask you to do what only you can do. To make these words come to life. To make these words transformative by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so today as we gather in this place, we exalt you. We magnify you. We glorify you. And as we lift you up and lift up your word, we ask that you would return, transform us. That this idea that you're coming for us would bring great encouragement, great hope, and great love for one another. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Just to catch you guys up, um, just a moment, I want to walk through where we've been. But before I do, I want to ask you guys this question, okay? Let's say Jesus walks into the room physically. Now, we believe he's here already. But let's say he walks right up to you and he says, hey, I'm coming over to your house today for lunch. I want to share Sunday lunch with you and your family what is your immediate reaction? Just pause for a second. What immediately goes through your mind? <laughs> is there, there this kind of thing where you're going through, what do I have in the fridge that I'm going to pull out? What would you pull out to feed him? <laughs> she said fish because he can multiply that, right? What are you gonna, what's the first thing that you're going to attend to when you realize that Jesus is coming over for lunch today? 
What adjustments are you going to make? What things make you immediately anxious when you think about him coming into your house? We love having people in our home. It's really fun for us most of the time. And here's what I've noticed. The more familiar you are with the people coming over as guests, the less anxious you'll be about the visit. No matter what, when people are coming into our home, it is always a mad rush to get things ready for them to come. And it's never over until they show up. And then we get to be attentive to them, our guests. But if you don't know someone very well, I promise you there's going to be anxiety about them coming to your house, okay? And today, in this passage, we're going to see that Christians have this distinct anticipation of Christ's return, and that hope that we have leads us to a sober living, and it leads us to this encouraging community. Now, we're going to get there in just a moment. Let me go through what we're talking about first in 1 Thessalonians. We've been here for nine weeks, and so if you haven't been here for the previous nine weeks, I have no expectation that you'd know who's talking, who the audience is. So I'm going to give you a quick uh, uh, consolidation of what the context is. Here's what happens. Paul and his missionary friends go to this town, Thessalonica. They plant a church in a very short period of time. They get run out because of persecution. The Christians that are there are being persecuted. they got to run for their lives, and Paul is anxious about about this group of new believers. He's only spent like three weeks, about three months with them. And can you imagine giving just a few months or a few weeks of foundation for what people should believe about the Christian faith? And then you've got to leave them on your own. So he sends back Timothy. Timothy brings back word to Paul and he says, look, they're doing great. They're walking with Jesus. They're okay. And then Paul writes this letter to them saying, I'm super glad to hear that you guys are okay. And even though you don't need anybody to write to you about this, in fact, he says it over and over. You don't need anybody to remind you of this. I was just there. I told you guys these things. But even so, I'm going to remind you about these things. And this week, he gets to a passage that follows up from last week. Last week, we dealt with what, how do Christians grieve and how is it different from those who do not know Jesus? We grieve with hope. We're not like those who have no hope. And so for us as believers, we grieve differently because of this reality that Jesus Christ is not only our judge, but he's our righteous lawyer and he's pleaded our case. So we look at our grief with hope. And today we get back to this idea that Jesus is coming back. Now, for many people, you talk about like the return of Christ and you immediately think of some hokey YouTube channel where they're always predicting that this is the end. Okay. Or TBN. They're always saying, this is the signs. This is, it's coming. But what I want you to know is if you're very familiar with Christ's return or if this is just some unfamiliar territory for you, for Christians, this was foundational. In fact, the very first Christians, this would have been foundational for being baptized. They would have learned the Apostles' Creed. I don't know if you're familiar with the Apostles' Creed, but it says something like this about Jesus, that he's the only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, buried. He descended, rose again. And then it says this, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. What's it say next? And he will come to judge the living and the dead. So for all of Christianity, from the very first earliest Christians, they would have had this idea as a very present reality that Jesus Christ is going to come back. They knew it. And so this group of people in, in Thessalonica, they would have already known that not only did Jesus die on the cross for their sins, he was buried and raised again. They knew that he was coming back. In fact, he says, you don't need anyone to write to you concerning this. You know, and you should anticipate that Christ is going to return. 
But Christians are marked by dealing with this return. Now, there's a few ways that we could think about it. I've already dealt with one. Most of us are like, okay, this is not having like some uh, effect on my daily life. Maybe you're not like thinking about Jesus' return day to day. You're not thinking about it all. Maybe it feels like some kind of myth or so outrageous that Jesus would somehow show back up. That, that all those crazy Christians that are talking about all the time, even if you believe that Jesus is coming back, maybe it's one of those things that just feels like, hey, it's unknown territory, so we'll just never deal with it, right? And of all the things that Christians have to deal with in our faith, there's a few things that are unknown because they're in the future, right? And Jesus even said, nobody's going to know this. So look at verse uh, Matthew 24, verse 36. He taught his disciples about this truth. He said this, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. So I want to pause for a second before I go on with what Jesus said about this. He said, practically, you're not going to know what it is, okay? You don't know when the hour or day is. You're not, you're, you cannot predict it. And so if somebody says, I know with authority Jesus is coming back to this, they're saying that they know more than Jesus about when he's coming back, okay? Do not listen to them. Jesus said, I don't even know. Only the Father knows. So even within the Trinity, there's this distinction. There's mystery about how and when Jesus is going to return. But ultimately, this idea that he is going to return should affect how we live. And that's what Paul is dealing with in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We believe that God's word is sufficient concerning this. That just means that he's given us enough so that we know how to behave in light of this reality. So what is enough? Jesus goes on to say this about uh, his return. It says this in Matthew 24, verse 37. For as were the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of man, the son of man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of man. So what do we do with this information? I want to walk through a few ideas about Christ's return. And then we're going to keep walking. First, you need to understand that Christ's return has to do with judgment, okay? It isn't a popular idea these days. We don't like to talk about it, but I'm going to tell you, in as much as we understand God's justice and his judgment will be the degree to which we understand his mercy and grace for us. If you do not appreciate that he is coming in judgment, you will never sing with joy that he's shown you amazing grace. His grace is only as amazing as what you've been delivered from. And so we first have to understand that Christ's return is going to be marked by judgment. It's going to be like the days of Noah when people are unexpecting and they just are swept away in the flood of his fury and wrath. And so, but I'm going to get to some good news. Don't go away yet. If this makes you terribly afraid, that's good news because that means you're awake to some kind of reality of this. He uses these two illustrations to describe what it's going to be like. He says it's going to be like a thief in the night. It's going to be unexpected. A few, a few weeks ago, um, we have a backyard that's just wooded and, and has some trails through it. A few weeks ago, I had left the house for a little bit. And, uh, and my wife was there alone with the kids. It had gotten dark. And we had some unexpected guests that started walking through our backyard with a flashlight. And so immediately, she sprung into action. She slams all the doors, locks them, shuts the garage, and she's ready for action. All of her previous fear provided her a, a script for this moment, okay? Turns out it was some friends just coming over to visit us late at night. We just weren't expecting them walking through our backyard. 
It says that his judgment, his return is going to come like that, like a thief in the night. And no matter how much you could prepare for it, (laughs) there's going to be some people who are caught off guard by it. He comes like pregnancy. That's the other illustration. Look, I've never been pregnant, (laughs) but we got three kids. And once you're pregnant, you know that there's only one way. The baby has to come out. It has to be delivered. In other words, it's inevitable. Look, whether you're anticipating it or not, it's inevitable that Christ is going to come back. He's going to come in judgment, and he's also going to come in deliverance. There's good news about his return. Everyone who's evil will be judged but, and punished, but everyone who's been righteous because of Christ is going to be delivered in every way that you experience injustice and unfairness in this world. One day, all of that's coming to an end. Every conflict, every way where you said, this is not right. Jesus Christ was agreeing with you, maybe silently, and you wondered if he agreed with you when you saw that the world was wrong. But there's a day coming at his return where he's going to make all things new. In fact, in 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 3, it says this, according to his promise, it says this on the screen, we are waiting for a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. In other words, we have this promise that he's going to make everything new and everyone who's in Christ can look forward to his return because we know that it's not just a judgment but a delivery and he's going to restore all things. Now there's two parties that are addressed at his return. The first one is having this attitude of peace and safety. They're unbelievers. He calls them those who are in darkness. He isn't describing a time period of peace, but he's rather describing this posture of peace. He's describing this kind of posture where people are like, everything's fine. It's all okay. They're waiting, but not for anything that comes from God. They're just looking at this world as if it is not temporary, as if everything that they see is permanent. And then he describes another group of people who are not taken by surprise, who are not in darkness, but they're children of light. The second group of people are marked by sober living and encouraging community. Now I'm going to walk through both of those things. In contrast to those who are in darkness, you have these people who are children of light. In fact, he describes them as that. That's their identity. They're not in darkness. He looks at the believers in Thessalonica and he says, you guys are not like that. You're not going to be surprised. You have plenty to be aware of. You're anticipating this day day of, of Christ coming, not with fear, but with great anticipation and joy. And the way that it looks is sober living. In other words, you live lives of godliness. You live like you're aware of a coming day where Jesus Christ is going to show up. In verse 6, it says this, So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. He's saying, stay awake. If you're awake to the reality of God, if you've been reconciled to him, he's brought you from death to life spiritually. He's brought you from sleeping to awake spiritually. And he's saying, some of y'all are dozing off. Let's not doze off to this reality. Let's not doze off to what it looks like to be uh, reconciled to God today, not just in the future, but to be with him today. That's what sober living looks like. So because we belong to the day, he's saying, "Don't, don't just sleep in this. Anybody ever hit the rumble strips? If you don't know what the rumble strips are, your wife does every time you veer off the road. You know what I'm talking about? You're driving down the road and suddenly it's a, ooh, 
Some of us need those kind of regular reminders to stay awake. Stay awake to this reality that Christ has reconciled you to himself. He's woken you up. Do not live sleepily. Sleepily. So since we belong to the day, let's stay awake. Let's be sober. Sobriety means that we don't try to numb ourselves to our present realities. We live in this tension between what God has already delivered us from and the reality that this isn't heaven. (laughs) This isn't it. Some of you are like, I know. (laughs) I know this is not heaven. This is not some promised land for me. Some of you are suffering right now. And there's a great temptation between this day and when all of our faith becomes sight to try to numb things. That's what children of darkness do. They try to numb themselves to the world, sometimes through drink. Maybe using alcohol to numb their senses. I just want to ask you for a second, what keeps you from sobriety right now? Some of you know very specifically, maybe it's prescriptions or maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's social media, entertainment, shopping, the credit card, whatever it is. The encouragement from Christ is stay awake. Do not make this place some permanent dwelling for you. Because this isn't it. The reality of Christ's return should wake us up and keep us awake and put rumble strips all around us. If we go out of alignment and we start drifting, God wakes us up and says, this is not my permanent home. I'm awake. I'm alive to these things. And then the third part of sober living isn't just staying awake and staying sober. It's suiting up. He says, you guys have been clothed in these things. And then he describes an armor. And before I go into what the armor looks like, I just want you to know that people don't wear armor unless they're at times of war. Do you guys realize that? People don't just walk around with soldier gear on unless there's something that is threatening them. And he says, look, I want you to be sober because this is a dangerous time. And then he describes what they put on. He describes a defense for them. First, he says, you put on a breastplate of faith and love. You clothe yourselves in this, past tense, you having clothed yourself with faith, faith being the evidence of what we long for, hoping for with conviction that we have not finished the race yet and there's more to be seen, more to be experienced. And then love, clothe yourselves with love. And the only way that we do that is that we receive from Christ and we give it to one another. He's saying, I want you to clothe yourselves in this defense, faith in what is to come, love having received it, you give it to one another. And then he describes the second piece of this defense, this helmet. And how does he describe it? The helmet of the hope of our salvation. (laughs) This is a hope that goes against despair. It goes against negativity. It goes in, in the reality of feeling like we're not delivered yet. We put on this helmet saying we're going to be delivered. There's going to be a day when everything is made right. The tension of what's already been accomplished and the future reality of what it's going to mean for us. That we're going to see Christ face to face. And it's not going to be because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf. And we'll stand before him having clothed ourselves in the breastplates of faith and love and this helmet of the hope of salvation. And what is this salvation? He goes on to describe it. 
He describes it in, in verses 9 through 11. I'm going to put it back on the screen because it's worthy of looking at again and again and again and again. Here's what he says. For God has not destined us, that's everyone who believes, for wrath. That is the best news that I could bring today. That there is a day of wrath coming and everyone who believes is not destined for God's wrath. Christ has absorbed that wrath on Himself and we have this hope of salvation and we clothe ourselves in it. We remind ourselves of it. We're, up, we're destined for this to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And how? How can this be so? How can it be so that we're destined not for wrath but for God's love and mercy? It's because Christ who died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Now, he leads from both the hope of our salvation to an assignment to us, okay? Anybody who's ever worked a part of a team, you know that there's certain people who are like, okay, cool, I finished that, now what's next? And they just drift off, right? <laughs> like, they just wander off. If you've ever been on a mission trip, you know the kid. You know what I'm talking about. The one that's like, you cannot keep them on task. Christ doesn't just give us this hope. He gives with it an assignment to one another to encourage one another. And that's what we find described in this, an encouraging community where we live out the gospel with one another. So what does encouraging community look like? It looks like this. First, encourage one another with the gospel that you're not destined for wrath, but to obtain salvation. So you look at everyone who's believing and you do what Paul was doing to these believers. Hey, let me tell you something. You want to hear some good news today? You believing in Jesus? You're not destined for God's wrath. That's some really good news. It, it makes every other bad news pale in comparison. We always have this foundation of good, encouraging news to tell one another. Over and over and over, he's saying, Build one another up in this. This is really good news. Jesus says in John 3, 17, in his conversation with Nicodemus, look, for God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Here's some really good news. Jesus came not to condemn us, but so that we might be saved. So how are we going to receive this good gift we give and receive it in the words of Christ and the gospel, and we receive this gift through the Holy Spirit. So, he gave us this purpose. He gave us these words to encourage one another with, who died for us, that's Jesus, who died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. What's so encouraging about it is not just we're not destined for God's wrath. That's really good news. But what's even better news is this. You're destined for union with Christ. He didn't just deliver you from judgment. That's the half of it. But if you miss the second half, you're going to be unacquainted when Jesus comes to visit. The second half of this encourage one another is this, that whether you're asleep or awake, he's talking about death or life, right? So previously in the previous chapter, he's like, how, how should we deal with those people who are asleep? And he's talking about death. He's saying, look, if you die or if you still live, here's our hope that Jesus Christ died for us. And together, waking or sleeping, we're with God. 
We're with him that we might live with him. That's the greatest gift of the gospel. That's the prize that's become both a present reality and a future hope that we're alive or dead. We're present with the Lord. He's given us this gift that we might be present with him, that we might enjoy his presence among one another here in this gathering, wherever you go, that he gives the Holy Spirit to every person who believes so that there is no place. There is not one space in your life where you're ever alone if you're in Christ. There is not one place he has not witnessed. There is not one pain that he has not seen. There's not one space that he's not looking at you and with you, together with you in. That's the hope of the gospel, not just the avoiding judgment. It's the presence of Jesus Christ. That's our greatest gift that he would suffer for us and with us. I'm going to say that again. He doesn't just suffer for us, but he suffers with us. And in the meantime, between this day and when he comes and we see him face to face, we can experience the reality of his coming with great hope. And so I want to transition here to a conclusion and some application. Here's God's word to us. Encourage one another. So how should we respond? John Donne, the English poet that probably many of you have had to study, he wrote this poem. He wrote this poem asking a question. It's going to be on the screen. What if this present were the world's last night? Mark in my heart, O soul, where thou dost dwell. In other words, what if this is it? What if this is the last day? Now he goes on to describe how can we possibly stand before Christ? And he says, listen, if Christ on the cross hung there praying for the people who had spat on him and scorned him and mocked him and crucified him and he prayed for them, Father, forgive them. That is the same Christ with whom we we must deal with. So whatever you're coming into this room with, whatever wounds, whatever mistakes, whatever lapses in sobriety that you've even had in the last week, whatever it is that you bring into this room, making you fearful of that day, here's what I want to give you, this hope, that Jesus Christ is a friend of sinners. And that is really good news for everyone who's alive, because all of us are in the same boat. All of us can look forward to that day with great hope because we weren't destined for God's wrath. And there's a group of people who are, and I hope that's not you. And so one way that we encourage one another is this. There's a day coming. We speak that over one another. We say over and over again, listen, there's a day coming of judgment, and it changes the way that we interact with one another. It changes the way that we see one another. Every single person that you've ever interacted with, their soul's at stake. There are souls at stake. There's a day coming. And so we ask the question, what if this present were the world's last night? For those that are alarmed today and you are very scared of this idea, Jesus Christ gives us this invitation in Revelation 22. The spirit and the bride say, come, let the one who sears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. You don't come bringing anything but your need. That's all you've got to contribute to your salvation. But God welcomes your need to him, and he fills us up with this thirst. All the thirsty come without price. You don't have anything to pay for it, and he gives you what you need. And those who already believe... For those of you in the room who understand that there is a day coming, let us encourage one another with this, that you are not destined for wrath, 
but for deliverance. Living or dead, there is a day coming where we'll see him face to face, but whether you're alive or dead, his promise is this, that if you trust in him, you are with him. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you've been reconciled to God, not in some future tense, but today, the day of faith. So he says, come, believe, and long for this day. I love the story of Jesus, our first arrival on the scene. You guys remember this when they bring Jesus to the temple? There's a couple of people at the temple. The very first time that Jesus is coming out, they bring him to the temple. They're going to dedicate him. And there's this guy named Simeon. And there's this woman named Anna. And they have been waiting for this moment where the Messiah will arrive. And somehow they look on him. And somehow God just shows them, this is him. And they are full of joy. They, They say, now I can die in peace because I've been waiting for this day. And in the same way, every one of us who believe today, he invites us to be part of that group of people. May their tribe increase. Like Simeon, like Anna, who anticipated his first arrival, let us be those kind of people who anticipate his second coming with joy. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, come, yes and amen, come. A.W. Tozer puts it this way, let us, that's believers, be alert to the season in which we are living. It is the season of the blessed hope. calling for us to cut our ties with the world and build ourselves on this one who will soon appear. He is our hope, a blessed hope, enabling us to rise above our times and fix our gaze upon him. And so how should we respond as believers? We fix our hope on him. We don't get mixed up in the temporary things. You guys realize that every house, every car, every investment, your careers one day will come to an end. All of it will come to an end. And so our foundation of hope is not something that we could accomplish in this world. It's what Christ has accomplished for us. So build your hope on that. That's how we encourage one another in that. We say to one another, stay awake when we're dozing off. We say to one another, stay sober when we're numbing ourselves to the world and this tension that we live in. Jesus comes to those that are longing and ready. Just don't act as if this present reality is the only one. We hold this future reality in the present, that we are united with Christ. And maybe there's some of you that are like, you know what? I long for Jesus coming, but I also want to see my kids get married, have some grandkids. You want to see some things. And there's nothing wrong with that. God wants us to be alive to this world. What's wrong with it is if we put more hope in these temporary things than the eternal. And his invitation to us is to come and return to this sober living where we see him as the only foundation and our present grace and future grace. Changed identity, changed behavior, that we're children of light. And those, lastly, I want to speak to that are suffering today. Some of you already are like, Lord, I just want to be delivered. It's tough. Whatever you're living in feels tough. When Jesus announced to John in the book of Revelation that he was coming quickly, John's response was this. It's on the screen. Revelation 22, 20. Surely I'm coming soon. John's response, amen. Come, Lord, Jesus. We speak that over every trial today. Every cancer 
every disease that you do not know whether or not you will win, every physical weakness that you feel in your body, we say together, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Every disappointment that you've had in this life, every fear, every regret, every discouragement, we say to one another, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Every lapse in your own sobriety, every moment of weakness and sin, every time that you stray away from him, you come back and say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Encourage one another with this. Every car that's broke down and every bank account that is too, we say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. He makes all things new. For those that are tired today, there's a day coming when Jesus, the wait for him will be over. And Jesus described it like this to his disciples. He said, it's going to be like the master steps out for a wedding. And there's some people who stay awake and they're waiting for him. They're waiting for him. And Jesus comes back. And you know what he does? He says, I want you guys to recline, sit down at the table. I'm going to serve you. He ties up the towel again and he serves those who have been waiting. That is the promise for those who are in Christ. If you're weary, come to him who gives you strength. One day it'll be you who's sitting down. But waiting right now doesn't feel like sitting in a hammock. You know, sometimes it feels like like holding a plank until your coach tells you you can stop. But he gives you every grace for the day. And for everyone who believes, I want to leave you with this. This is our future, Revelation 21, verses 4 and 5. He, Jesus, will one day wipe every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He also said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. For those who wait, I encourage you with this. There's one day, and it's coming soon. It's coming. And for those who belong to him, he hasn't destined you for wrath. He has not destined you for wrath, but for deliverance and salvation that comes through Jesus Christ who died and rose again. And for those of us who believe, there's a day coming when every tear will end. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. And that is our hope. Encourage one another with these things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. I pray that we would receive it with glad hearts. For those who are far from you, I pray that they would be provoked to see you as coming and coming soon. For those who are attached to this world, I pray that we would see your coming with great joy, clothed in your righteousness alone. I pray that we would long for that day. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That we would encourage one another with this truth. That this is all temporary, but you are eternal. And you invite us into that through Jesus Christ. I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand up and sing together. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness.